Let's count your blessings. Uh, we live in a world that says it's irresponsible to be happy. If you're happy, that just means you're uninformed. You don't know what uh, awful things are out there. If there's a smile on your face, that just means you're an uninformed American. <laughs> or it might be that you're truly informed. And that you know that there's a God that's very much in charge and he's on the throne and everything I receive, it's from him. He's good, he's wonderful, he loves me and he has written the end of the story and I'm going to be with him forever and ever. Can I smile about that? Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 17. Boy, we sang these words, didn't we? Uh, uh, two songs ago. To him I have given all my heart. What a wonderful Savior. The world shall never share a part. What a wonderful Savior. Boy, uh, sometimes the world uh, cuts off a sliver of our heart and uh, our, our affections get stolen away. Uh, and it should be that we, Lord, help me, help me, help me make sure that those words are true in my life. To him I've given all my heart. The world will never share a part. So we come at last to the end of 2 Timothy 3. We're going to look at uh, verses uh, uh, 16 and 17 tonight. We've been waking our way through this uh, throughout the year. Uh, this is the fifth installment. And uh, we, we looked at verses 1 through 5. The man of God is warned. Of course, in verse 17... We're looking at the man of God being perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. And so uh, the man of God is warned about some certain things in uh, verses 1 through 5. The man of God must be wary. We saw that in verses 6 through 9. Uh, the man of God must be watchful. We saw that in verses 10 through 13. And then we broke the last section up into two parts. The man of God must be wise. Uh, a, few, a few Sundays ago, we looked at verses 14 and 15, and then tonight we'll look at 16 and 17. Uh, but uh, let, let's read that last section. Uh, the man of God must be wise, verses 14 through 17, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child. Thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works." So we, we, we broke this last section into two parts. We looked at uh, verses 14 and 15. We saw an exhortation to live in the Word. And tonight we'll look at an explanation of how to live out the Word. An explanation of how to live out the Word. So tonight, part two of this last section, the man of God must be wise, an explanation of how to live out the Word. Let's pray as we look at it. Lord, we thank you for your precious word, and I, I do ask uh, that you'd open our hearts to these things, even as this morning we, we thought of the idea that we're uh, sometimes not as amazed as we should be, that you incline your ear to us, 
Uh, and, and yet, Lord, we're hesitant to incline, uh, incline our ear to your words. Help that not to be so tonight, Lord. You, you're speaking and your words are precious. And may it be that, that we listen very attentively, not so we can check it off our list of things that a good Christian does, uh, goes to church on Sunday evening. May this evening service be more than just a chance to check something off our list, but a chance to hear from you, O oh God. And may we come and may we go out a little bit different than when we came in, or, or maybe a great deal different, Lord, if some major things need to be uh, given over to you. I, I just pray that you'd work on us tonight. May your word grow us in some special way. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So uh, three things tonight. Uh, we see that God's word is a precious present. It's a precious present. All scripture is given. To whom? To whom, you, you English teachers? To us. To the churches, to the members of the churches, to humanity. It's God's love letter to us. His precious word is his love letter to us. Uh, all scriptures given by inspiration of God, God's word is a precious present. Uh, secondly, God's word has a profitable purpose. What's its profitable purpose? He says it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, oh, wait a minute, that doesn't sound very profitable. Tell me I'm not doing everything uh, perfectly. Uh, uh, that's that's the, the, the best coach will say, hey, I'm seeing some good things, but, but here's something you're going to have to fix, or there'll be problems down the road. Correction, God's word corrects us, for instruction in righteousness. And then God's word also has a perfecting power, a perfecting power. What does it say at the end there? That that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So God's word's a precious present with a profitable purpose and a perfecting power. All right, so let's look at that first one. God's word is a precious present, a love letter from the very mouth of God. All scriptures given by inspiration of God. How precious are these words. And, and young person, uh, again, you, you, you think that, oh, those older people, it's the, how? how? How do they live like God's word is precious? Sometimes it just gets a bit dry and dusty. Uh, you're going through portions of the scripture. Can I, can I admit to you, young people, uh, we adults, we have to work at keeping it precious because unfortunately, we can get cold to these precious truths as well. All of us, it's something precious, something that we have to work at. Uh, the preciousness of God's love letter, digging this thing out every morning and rubbing those eyes and, and maybe spraying your face and oh, waking up and making sure we're spending time in God's love letter. How precious. I hope that God's word is precious to us tonight. What did, what did Jeremiah say? Listen to this. This is Jeremiah 15, 16. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy 
and rejoicing of mine heart. Oh, won't you have a longing tonight to say, Lord, I, I want that. I want your words to be a joy and the rejoicing of mine heart. There was a story about a young man who never read his Bible. Um, and uh, uh, somebody gave him, uh, somebody said, I'm going to give you this. Uh, it must have been a fancy bookmark. Because somebody said, I'll give you this bookmark. And he's like, oh, oh, please. I'd love to have that. I don't know if it was gilded in gold or something. I don't know what it was. Most of us are afraid of bookmarks because that might include some reading. But he saw a bookmark and the person said, listen, I'll give this to you, but you got to keep it in your Bible. And it can't be between the same two pages two days in a row. So the young man agreed to that. And in his mind, he thought, well, what I'll do. I don't have to read it. I just have to open. I can. He was honorable enough to, to hold to that, but he wasn't going to do any reading. He's just going to slide the bookmark to the next page, the next day, and he could uphold his end of the bargain. He meant to shift it and not to read the book, but his eye glanced on a text. After a while, he became interested, and by and by, he got converted as he read God's precious word. And then the bookmark wasn't moved out of obligation. It was moved out of a growing pleasure. However, I wonder how many of us are moving our bookmark day after day. Did you used to? Was there a pleasure that caused you to move your bookmark? How's your bookmark been lately? Is it shifting day by day out of a, a growing pleasure. God's word is all scriptures given by inspiration of God. Uh, it's foundational where the Bible comes from. Uh, the, the Bible is set apart from everything else. Uh, th these are the very words of almighty God. And yes, to some extent, you're, uh, the, the scriptures that Timothy had would have referred to the Old Testament. But the New Testament is, is just as God breathed. Timothy would have been raised on those Old Testament truths, but the New Testament given was being given in his lifetime, and, and all Scripture extends to the truth of the entire Word of God, not the Jewish oral tradition, but the written words of God. See, God's words are different than ours, aren't they? Our talk is cheap. The politicians, boy, they talk, and you, you, you roll your eyes. Boy, talk is cheap. Uh, how about little kids around Christmas time? Mom, Dad, if you'll buy me that Christmas present, I will turn my life around. <laughs> Never again will I groan when you tell me to clean my room or take out the trash or clean the kitchen. I will speak highly of all authority, especially when they correct me if you'll just buy me that present. In fact, every day next year, I'll get up early, read my Bible, and pray. And maybe I'll consistently brush my teeth. Boy, you look at your child and you think, boy, he believes what he's saying. But that'll last for, you know, until he wakes up tomorrow and doesn't feel, you know, we can hope for wonderful things. But, but human talk is cheap, but God's words are anything but cheap. 
In John chapter 6, Jesus was preaching, and they they enjoyed Jesus' miracles, but they didn't want to submit their lives to him as being the Messiah. They wanted Jesus around to do magic tricks for them, but they didn't want to be there for him, submitting. And so there were a lot of people who, in a disillusioned way, decided to, to walk away, and in In John 6, verse 66, there were many that that turned and walked away from Christ. They were were done. I'm not following him anymore. Jesus turned to his disciples. I'll just read it to you. John 6, 66 and following. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. When Jesus said unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Boy, uh, a lot of people come to church, and what can he do for me? Oh, he can do plenty. But when are you going to ask, what can you do for him? And there were some that, ah, oh, no, when it comes to me living a life set apart to him and pleasing him, I'm not interested in that. I, I want him doing magic tricks and, and, and I want him to, to, to jump when I say jump and perform a magic. But as far as me living my life set apart, I'm not interested in that. So many turning away from the things of God to the things of this world, finding what this world has to say more pleasing and making more sense to their carnal way of thinking but the world does not have the words of life. Only God does. Oh, boy, they, they, they think, well, well, hey, let's go hang out at the beach, uh, immodestly dressed, uh, and we'll, we'll wear a WWJD bracelet. That'll fix everything. Uh, we won't be like those Pharisees that dress in a God-honoring way. Well, I wonder how many times God wants to say, get that bracelet off. What would Jesus do? You have no idea. Treat me like a magic trick, and I'm just there to perform little tricks for you. How about you living your life set apart to me? And the masses went away, and Jesus turned to his 12 and said, what about you? And they said, Lord, we believe that you're the Christ. You have the words of life. Where else? Could we go? All scripture is given by inspiration. That that word is theopneustos. Literally means God-breathed. The words of our book are God-breathed. God-spoken. When someone speaks, words are breathed out. God spoke his words and special men were given the task of recording them. Listen to this in Jeremiah 30, verse 2. Thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write thee all the words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. You write my words in a book. That's how it works. God spoke to Jeremiah 
uh, the breathed out words and directed the prophet to write them in a book. The source of the scripture ultimately is from the mouth of God. God spoke it and therefore these are God breathed words. Theopneustos uh, literally means God breathed. Theos, God, and, and new, new, P-N-E-U, like a pneumatic drill or pneumatic tires or even pneumonia that has to do with where our air, uh, the, the respiratory infection of where we keep the air in our body. Uh, Theopneustos, the breathing. All scripture is God breathed. Second Peter 1.21, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake. By the way, not thought, they spake. God didn't give them thoughts. God gave them his words. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Listen to this from Acts 1.16. Uh, Peter says, men and brethren, the scripture must needs have been fulfilled which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake. You catch that? The Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake. Words that the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake. These are God's words. Yes, he used men to, to record them and to deliver them, but they're his words. It's interesting that, that when we speak, we draw his air into our lungs and then force air past our larynx to create a series of vibrations. And then there's resonance that occurs in the chambers between our larynx, our nasal pharynx, our oropharynx, and our throat in order to the resonance, the formants, and the overtones come out as different vowel Shapes and we can hear words and then the consonants that, that are created as we crimp the flow of the vowels. But all of that is done because we draw in his air and we force his air out and we can shape it. It's wonderful. It's amazing to think that before there was any air, God didn't need to draw in anything. And he was able to, you and I can't speak without his air. You put us into a vacuum, we're done <laughs> for other reasons than uh, we can't speak, we can't breathe, we're dead pretty quickly. But God was on the scene with no air, and he spoke. We vibrate his air. When he spoke, there was no air to vibrate, and yet energy came forth, and all that is came into being when he spoke. His words are different than ours. Some modern versions, we use the King James Bible here. Some modern versions... Change it to every scripture inspired of God as though some of it isn't inspired of God. I praise God for our authorized King James Bible. All scriptures given by inspiration of God. It, it is the scripture that was inspired, not men. The Bible does not claim to be written or in, by inspired men. The words were inspired. They were breathed out of God. The Bible does not claim that the writing is supernaturally given or, 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 or breathed into by God. Uh, the, the Bible, I'm sorry, the Bible does claim that the word of God is supernaturally given. The scripture is breathed out by God, not words that were breathed upon by God. 
A glory gilds the sacred page, majestic like the sun. It gives a light to every age. It gives but borrows none. The hand that gave it still supplies the gracious light and heat. Its truths upon the nations rise. They rise but never set. Let everlasting thanks be thine for such a bright display as makes a world of darkness shine with beams of heavenly day. My soul rejoices to pursue the steps of him I love till glory breaks upon my view in brighter worlds above. God's word is a precious present. Secondly, it has a profitable purpose. It has a profitable purpose. The Bible says that the words of God are they're profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It is profitable, beneficial, useful. Truly God's word is profitable. The source for every aspect of the Christian life, ranging from doctrine and theology to right living. Its source is directly from God, and that's why God's words are profitable. Profitable for doctrine, it tells us what to do. Profitable for reproof, it tells us what not to do. Profitable for correction, it tells us how to get right. And profitable for instruction in righteousness, it tells me how to stay right. One believer put it this way. Many, bo- many books in my library are now behind and beneath me. I read them years ago and, and, considered, uh, and considered them pleasant to read. I have read them since with disappointment. I will never again read them. They are of no service to me anymore. They were good in their way once, And so were my clothes that I wore when I was 10. But I have outgrown them. I know more than these books now, and I know where they are faulty. But no one can ever outgrow the Bible. The book widens and deepens with our years. It is true that the Bible does not really grow, it is entirely perfect, but to our apprehension, the deeper you dig into the scripture, the more you find that it is a great mine of truth. It is profitable for doctrine. The book teaches us, it instructs us. Uh, Romans 15, four, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Written for our learning. The word translated as doctrine, didascalia, has the uh, sense of teaching. These are God's words. And again, when I speak, I hope that you don't discount them because what does he have to say? I, I agree. But I hope to be a messenger of one who has highly important things to say. Just like, just like if Claire goes to start lecturing Alec, her, her big brother, he, he might look at her and, and be like, I'm, you know, I, I love you, I'm not super interested in listening to you right now, I'm doing something, and she might, she might start to bark some commands at him, and he's like, I'm sorry, I don't feel like it. But if I say, Claire, 
go tell Alec that I want to see him out front by the lawn tractor. I need his help. Now she's carrying my words. She goes to him and says, hey, Alec, drop what you're doing. Dad needs you out front right now. Go see him. And I hope then that he doesn't roll his eyes and say, Claire, I'm just not interested in listening to you. That's fine. But I'm carrying the words of Dad. You need to listen to him. I'm carrying his words. May it be that when a preacher gets up here, you don't discount his words because, well, who does he think he is? I agree with you. I often tell God, Lord, why me? I'm a sinner. Why do I get to get up and open your book? I don't deserve that, 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 that joy, that treat, that pleasure. I'm a sinner. How, how, how can I use, take your precious words and deliver them? And he says, that's what I want you to do, and so I do. But listen, friend, it isn't, my, it isn't me you're listening to. I try to get in God's word and get something from him and carry his words. What's the difference when, when Claire goes down there? They're, they're words. They're words. But when she says, listen, this is what dad wants, she carries his words, and that should make a difference. Does it in our lives? Brother Wilcox was, was telling me, he goes, recently I'm trying to write stuff down and, and I'm trying to take some notes. And boy, you, you get more out of the service. Yeah, you, you, yeah, your, your brain engages more. And I want to write stuff down. I want, I want to have something to chew on later. I want to, again, I don't want to just sit and check it off my list. I've done what good Christians do. No, I'm here for, for more than just a, a check in a box. I want to hear from God. James 1.22 reminds us, be doers of the word. So when you get in that instruction from God's word, do it. Don't be hearers only. Matthew 7, at the, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it talks about, whoso heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man. You're like, oh, I've outgrown that song. I've outgrown that song. The, 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 the wise man built his house upon the rock. I've outgrown that. Oh, but too many of us think we've outgrown that truth. And you don't outgrow that truth. Whoso heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man that built his house. When did we grow beyond the Bible? Oh, the profitable doctrine of Romans as it teaches us about the, the cross of Christ. Oh, how precious the book of Ephesians when it instructs us about the church of Christ. Oh, how precious the books of First and Second Thessalonians when they tell us about the coming of Christ. It's profitable for doctrine, but also for reproof. Uh, the word essentially has the idea of conviction. Conviction. So it tells us what is right and it tells us what is wrong. Oh, the precious reproof of the letters to the church at Corinth. Oh, there was sin in the church of Corinth. There was carnality in the church of Corinth. And so letters, precious scripture, God-breathed scripture was sent to them to correct the carnality, the sin, the divisiveness in that church. Oh, how precious God's word when it comes to correct things in our lives. Oh, the precious reproof. They weren't living out the lessons of the cross. They needed a lesson on what is right and what is wrong in the Bible. Oh, it's a sharp sword. 
in the hands of a skilled surgeon. Oh, we can go to the doctor and we can say, oh, something's not right, and maybe they find a mass. And they're going to have to go in, and with that scalpel, they're going to have to cut something away. This is going to harm you. If left alone, this will kill you. And with that, that, that scalpel, a skilled surgeon can go in and cut those things away. So too is the Bible. It tells us in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Oh, the precious reproof when we need a lesson on what is right and what is wrong. It's profitable for correction. Uh, the, the word correction has the idea of correcting or restoring to an upright state. Uh, the, the, you, you've been veering off course. This is where you're supposed to be. Correcting to an upright, store, uh, 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 an upright state. Listen, we are not clean without the Bible. I, my, my children will, will go and do something athletic and they'll come home and my wife, you know, she's got that super sniffer. They, ah, go get a shower. And they're like, what are you talking about? I feel like I'm plenty clean. <laughs> uh, listen, mom smells something. So who cares what you think about your, your condition of uh, cleanliness? You're not clean. The Bible tells us in Psalm 119, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. You can't be clean if you're not taking heed according to his word. So if right now you're like, I'm not really taking heed to his word that much. You're not clean. I feel like I'm clean. The Lord's nostrils are saying you stink. And I've given you everything you need to be clean. Won't you take heed according to my word? And if you're not, you stink. But you don't have to. My kids have access to a shower, even warm water and soap. They have access to everything they need to be clean. They just need to realize the importance of it. And we need to realize you have everything you need to be clean spiritually. You have everything you need. And if you say, well, I, I have other ways, you're not clean. John 15, 3, now are ye clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Oh, the importance of the book of Galatians in helping the churches in that region to get right. They were not entering into the doctrinal teachings of the epistles to the Romans, the epistle to the Romans. The Galatians were moving away from the simple teaching of the cross to another gospel. Galatians 1.6. They were veering off course. And the book of Galatians, that, that precious book, was given to say, listen, you're veering off course. Let's correct. Let's get back on course. The scripture's profitable for correction, but also instruction in righteousness. How to stay right. Training in what is right. God wants man to know the right things to do, to think, 
and to say. The Bible teaches us, it's the grace of God and the words of God that teach us, from, according to Titus 2, 12 and 13, how we can live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us how much he loves us, but it tells us so much more than that, what we should do when we love him. Are we listening? Are you listening? Again, I keep bringing up chapel. Pastor Olson preached on, on the Holy Spirit not too long ago. And the Holy Spirit likes to speak in that still, small voice, doesn't he? And sometimes it's hard to hear him. The, the flesh is screaming. You got one of those? You got one of those? You got a flesh that's screaming at you? It's screaming. The world is screaming at you. Oh, we're surrounded by... The devil's screaming at you. And the, and the Holy Spirit speaks in that still, small voice. And so imagine this. Some nights, Brother Fletcher, right, the gym, there's an open gym night. That means there's, there's, there are people in the middle playing volleyball. There's guys at each basketball hoop shooting baskets. And then some, you know, some fellows are just winging the football across the whole gymnasium. You know, uh, you're just kind of hitting the volleyball, hoping that there's not going to uh, be a football hit you in the back of the head. And then you add little kids to that, maybe a, a little scooters, and, like, ah! and it gets loud in there. So imagine you're in there, and, and, and you're like, oh, oh boy, Whew. enjoy yourself, enjoy yourself. You know, and, and, then, and then imagine my wife walks up to me with a concerned look on her face. <laughs> and she's like, I think by reading her lips, she's saying, I have something important I need to tell you. And I'm like, okay. It's going to take some work. And in that moment, all the noise, I'm going to need to shut it out because there's something important I need to listen to. I'm going to have to stop and I'm going to have to get closer. I'm going to have to incline mine ear and, 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 and read. I want to look at her face and, and look at the expression on her face. What is it, hon? I'm going to get close and I'm going to zero in and I'm going to tune out and I'm going to, those words are important. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. He says, come close. I have something important to say. And it's easier just to listen to the screaming world and the screaming devil and the screaming flesh. And the Holy Spirit, listen, I have something important to say. And his words are precious far beyond anything this world has to say. But you'll have to incline your ear. You'll have to tune that out. You'll have to get close and zeroed in. Oh, Lord, speak to me. Those things, I'm tuned out of those things and I'm tuned in to what you have to say. I'm inclining my ear. I want it. I'm tuned in to what you have to say. God is speaking. Are we careful enough to listen? The Holy Spirit uses the Bible to train us in righteousness. Boy, the Bible commands us, convicts us, corrects us, counsels us, curbs us, commends us, comforts us. What a precious book. Oh, the Bible, it's a precious present and it has a profitable purpose and it has a perfecting power. That, that, the man of God Again, remember how this chapter started? 
In the last days, men shall be lovers of themselves, unthankful, disobedient. It's just like, in general, men shall be. In the last days, men will be selfish, tuned into their own cravings, not being able to listen to anything else, what my flesh, what the world, uh, uh, just selfish, self-centered. In the last days, men shall be. But you don't have to be like men in general. You can be a man that's set apart. That the man. Again, we throw that around, don't we? You the man. <laughs> you, you the man. You the man. You want to be the man? In the last days men shall be, but the man of God. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Good works. The purpose of all of this should be seen in our lives. Our works should demonstrate that there's something inside. Just like thankfulness flows from an internal gratefulness. These good works flowing from a perfecting work, a a, a submitting, a tuning in, a listening, a blocking out, and letting God have his perfect work and way in our life. I'm telling Alec, you know, we we have 20, we have next year coming up, don't we? So quickly. It'll be here before we know it. How's this for a a New Year's resolution? I'm I'm telling him, Alec, Proverbs 16.3. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Commit your works unto him. Say, Lord, you're worth being sharp for. You're worth being sharp for. You helping me, oh God. I want to be sharp for you. I don't want to just float through life being aware that you're up there. No, I I want to be a soldier of the cross who's sharp for you. I want to be disciplined for you. And if you'll commit your works unto the Lord, the Bible says your thoughts shall be established. Lord, I want to be sharp for you. And you're thinking. Maybe you're saying, I don't know. I just have a hard time finding direction. I have a hard time. Oh, the Bible talks about that double-minded man who's unstable. Lord, I'm ready to not be double-minded anymore. I want to be sharp for you. I want to commit my works unto you. I want my thoughts to be established. You're worth being sharp for, Lord. Yes, this book was written to a young pastor, Timothy. But there are general principles here for all believers. God wants us to be perfected and truly prepared unto every good work. That word perfect, don't let that scare you. Like, I I don't know. I'm not talking where you get to the point where you're never messing up again because we're sinners, We'll have things that we need to ask. Lord, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I was, I was telling someone today that there are times where my mind starts to drift where it doesn't belong. And you'll, <laughs> nope, I am not going there. Bring it back. Bring it back. I'm not going there. It doesn't follow, it doesn't keep the, the Philippians 4.8 test, right? Finally, brethren, what sort of things are 
true, what sort of things are honest, what sort of things are just, what sort of things are pure, what sort of things are good report, if there be, I probably missed them, there be virtue, there be praise, think on these things. No, that's, that doesn't fall in that category. Nope, bringing it back. My mind's not going there. Bring the thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ. God wants us to be perfected. He wants us to be maturing in his word. The Bible is our ultimate source book for every aspect of life. Perfect, artios, has the sense of being complete. Being complete. Having everything at your disposal. Likely it has the sense of spiritual maturity. God takes us through some things, and if we let him, he guides us and grows us along the way using his precious word. Truly furnished, directly related to the previous word, artios, it has the idea of, of perfectly furnished. The word of God thoroughly and perfectly furnishes a man unto all good works. It'd be like if, if, if Brother Varner he, he, he's, he, he knows electricity. And as he's, as he's got his tool belt, maybe, maybe some guy spends all summer with him learning electricity. And at the end, Brother Varner feels led to give him his own tool belt with everything he needs. And the young man still has a lot of learning to do. But in that tool belt, there's everything he needs. He still has to learn how to use it. There's still going to be difficult. Oh my, I've got the tools to do this job. I just don't know how to apply them properly. There's still going to be ways, things for him to grow and things for him to learn. There's going to be difficult situations. He went, hey, Brother Farner, I have everything I need, but I'm, running, I'm up against this. What do I do? And maybe you get some counsel, but, but everything you need is in your tool belt. You're going to learn to use it. God gives us everything we need when we're saved. You've got everything you need in your tool belt. But there's some lessons in how to use those tools. In this letter to Timothy, Paul sought to encourage him to continue on in the ministry. Likely there was the weight of discouragement. I bet you there were times that Timothy thought, I I just want to quit. Quitting is easier. As we saw, he, he says, well, don't quit. Don't forget the godly heritage you've enjoyed, a godly mom, a godly grandma. Don't forget the scriptures you've been, you've been taught. Don't forget the people who've invested in your life. And then finally, here in our message tonight, he directs him to his ultimate resource, the precious word of God that thoroughly and perfectly prepares him for whatever need should arise in the ministry to get in the book to learn to use this tool belt and everything it provides. So tonight, Christian, what did the Holy Spirit draw your attention to? Are you shifting your bookmark like you should? Maybe we should get back to that. Are you living like God's words are cheap? Enjoying this world while claiming to love God? Do you find his precious word more precious than you did years ago or somewhere along the line do you feel like you've outgrown it? When the preacher preaches, do you, do you sit up and listen? Not because of his words, but because of his words. 
How have you been doing? Tuning your ear into that still, small voice. As the world and the devil and the flesh are screaming, are you working to quiet them down so you can tune into the voice of the Holy Spirit? What he has to say through his word is of utmost importance. Anyone can be one of the men of the last days. Won't you be a man of God and a woman of God? Let's pray.